0: welcome in to another edition of pick and pod here on WFUV sports Tom Terzulli alongside Alvin Hulame I think I'm one of the few people around here that can get your name correctly did I say it right
1: uh cl- a little closer. what it?
0: give me give me the actual pronunciation.
1: pronuncia uh,
0: wajaya not Hu wajaya so I was pretty close I called you Lame well, hey closer
1: <laughs> closer than most
0: yeah it's uh, a lot to get to though today I think it's a really Fun and interesting time to be an NBA fan right now, even if maybe the East and West, the top spots, are pretty much locked up, at least in my mind. and We'll get to that a little bit later on, but I think the MVP conversation is more interesting right now than it has been in at least the last couple of years, and we'll talk about that as well. But first, we got to get to the good old New York Knickerbockers. Uh, looking at the standings here, they're 26-38, and 38. 12. they're 12th in
1: the Eastern Conference. In the conference. That's Yeah. It's, a far cry for a far cry from what we what the expectations we had for them in the beginning of the season.
0: A far cry from Derek Rose saying if everyone's healthy, this team has the potential to go eighty two and And right now we're oh at twenty six wins currently. So talking about the Knicks, it still is quite frankly possible that they can sneak in at that eighth spot. I, I don't think the, so. The chance is there mathematically they're not eliminated but I was going to ask you this question: Do you think there's any realm of possibility that the Knicks can sneak into that eighth spot and then most likely get demolished by the Cavs in round one?
1: Um, I I don't think so. I'm just not po- I'm just not positive on that. Um, they're what are they like? I think they're like five and a half games back, six and a half games yeah. back for the eighth seed, and I just I just don't think that's a realistic expectation, especially for Knicks fans like. The Knicks, they like I remember in like the past two weeks they've had like one like so quality win. They had a win over the Spurs. At and I home. guess you could
0: say the Warriors loss was I guess a quality loss if you can
1: call something a
0: quality Fair loss. Fair enough, yeah. At they least kept in that first up.
1: half. They kept up. But like we have Milwaukee. Milwaukee's a fairly good team. Uh Milwaukee's better than New York. I think Charlotte Charlotte's been slumping, but I think they can probably keep ahead. Miami's been on a roll. They're not exact like any. Obviously, we we're try, we're probably gonna surmise that any team that makes it to the eighth seed is gonna get demolished going by to Cleveland. Lose. Yeah, but the teams ahead of the, the Knicks,
0: Knicks, it looks like, are better than them. My main problem with them is that they're mathematically there. They could still they're not mathematically eliminated, but re- really stops me from ever thinking that the Knicks are going to. Go on some sort of streak and even come close to the eight spot is their defense. It, it really is. Watching the Knicks is like a chore when it when it comes to that. It's it's their defense is horrific, and I'm surprised more people aren't talking about it. Just how bad it is. I don't think the offense is really that much of a problem. I think Derek I mean Rose, when you have Melo, it's yeah Melo and Derek Rose and Porzingis. No problem. They can score. They can create their own shot. That has not been the issue. They're scoring in the hundreds a lot of these games. It's just they cannot stop anyone. It does. Twenty, you know, just told by our illustrious producer Tyler Frier, twenty fifth in the league in points allowed. It's just, it, it's really bad to watch, and Hornacek has done nothing about it in terms of improving the defense. Well, and, I don't think, I or mean, the yes, players don't want to play. Hornacek,
1: it Hornacek is definitely at fault somewhat, but like, some of the
0: blame has to fall on the coach. He's when been, he don't play he's defense. been put
1: in a tough position, I think, like in terms just of a general situation because. The whole thing, like the whole thing, is like he wants to run a very up-tempo offense focused on ball movement. That's the kind of he doesn't have the team for it though. That's the kind of offense that he had with the Suns when he had that one great season. Mm -hmm. But as usual, the great Zen Master Phil Jackson always talking about the triangle. But regardless, I think regardless, uh what you think about the expectations they can uh for them on offense i think i agree with you their defense is atrocious i watched that golden state game then the second half the second half that ironically the bench team the bench lineup played much better and more energy they had more energy on defense than the starting lineup quite simply like Absolutely. people like Ju- justin holiday um justin holiday ron baker these kind of like no, players that I have to say aren't aren't that good. when These you guys compare got it to nothing the cream to cream Of the crop in yeah. the NBA, they're busting their butts out here, yeah. and like the starting lineup of like Derek starting starters like Derek Rose and Carmelo Anthony are just not getting it done on defense.
0: Sometimes offensively, you look at Derek Rose and you see like, oh, that's a flash of the old Derek Rose when he gets to the basket and scores like he did pre-ACL injuries when he was in Chicago, but I think defensively he's always the old Derrick Rose because Derrick Rose never was, I think, a great defender in the first place, and he, especially now he can't really keep up with the majority of point guards in the league. Melo is a good defender when he wants to be, and most of the time he doesn't want to be. Like He takes possessions off, in my mind. So definitely I think the defense is holding them back, and they will not even come close to the eighth spot. Yeah, and definitely. in terms of what I think they should do for the rest of the season, uh, we were talking before we went on the air, I don't think it's going to be a full tank, but do things like they did against the Magic in their last game, which was a win, 113-105, but then they play some of these rookie players they had this crazy performance from that from the guy chasen or how, however you say oh, his last name Chas-
1: Ch- chasen randall? chasen chasen randall yeah that was his he's w- been a good he's been a good prospect on in the d league and they call ball. him up they
0: give him some decent playing time play guys like him play guys like ron baker play the young guys if you get a win and these guys have good performances then fine but it's going to be a really deep draft coming up why not get a couple of more losses and, and get in there and give yourself a good position to get a nice draft pick. What is getting the eighth seed and getting swept or losing in five games to the Cavs gonna do? It's going yeah. To do nothing. It's
1: not it's not gonna do much for long term. I think I, I definitely think what they should do is play with these young players, develop them. I personally think they should really prepare for a life without Melo because I think that is the best path for them. I think they should just dump Melo in rows and they should because if you dump Melo Rose, you can get some fairly good pieces back. You would think, yeah, yeah. and you you need a builder on Porzingis because that's a generational talent. Absolutely, that yeah. You have just been grossly misusing, underusing this season. I feel like, in a, uh, I remember early in the season when Knicks games mattered for the playoff for playoff spots that people were upset that. In clutch situations, Derrick Rose would be isolating or it would be always Carmelo in the post and Porzingis wouldn't get a single touch. It does happen a lot. Even
0: now it, it happens where you're in a close game and the Knicks, unbelievably, are in a lot of close games this season, how many games they've lost by one point or la- or more. They will almost always go to Melo in those situations on isos. You have a guy that can really score from any Part of the floor in Porzingis, and you're not even looking for him a lot in those exactly. situations. Exactly. No so.
1: disrespect to Melo; he's a he's an incredible clutch time performer. He's uh, a absolutely incredible. But he scorer, can't do it all. He's probably Hall of Fame. But I would argue, I would still argue that Chris Tasporzingis is well, is definitely your best player of the future. Pro- I would say, arguably. He had, like you could make an argument for him being the best player on the team now, and
0: um, I wouldn't say that now. I would still say Melo is a better player than him right now. But obviously, in terms of upside, that's the guy you're looking at. That's the guy you're building the franchise around. Melo, he's yeah. going to be gone soon. It doesn't seem yeah, like a championship is going to be in his future.
1: They've got to get rid of him. I think that's good for both sides. I think Melo also needs to get out there. He was he was saddled with unfair expectations when he got to New York. I think he needs to start new. Maybe uh, somewhere where he can actually finally experience some playoff success again.
0: Yeah, I think it's about time that you know maybe at the end of the season, Melo uh, will be exiting via a, a trade or or something like that. But uh, in terms of the Knicks and in ter- in terms of the Knicks and where they are at right now, and comparing them to the Nets, and we're not really going to talk about the Nets that much. Last in the East, what what can you really talk about? But if I'm a Nets fan right now. I honestly feel better about the situation that I'm in at this moment for the future than I do if I'm a Knicks fan absolutely, at this absolute Absolutely, moment. I agree. The Nets, they got rid of Joe Johnson. They got rid of the huge contracts that they had on the books. They have a coach who knows what he's doing, Kenny Atkinson. They have a general manager who knows what he's doing, and Sean Marks, who is in the Spurs organization. So you know he's trained to to look four players. I think they're heading in the right direction. Look, there's going to be a few years where you struggle, sometimes big time right now, but I think the Nets are heading in the right direction. They're going to get another great draft pick. They have a lot of cap space to sign guys if they want to come in. The Knicks, they still have huge con- huge contracts. They still have Melo, who is a massive contract that Phil Jackson gave him. They still have Rose. They still have Noah, who they just signed to this insane deal last summer. So the Knicks, in terms of the future, are in not a very good place right yeah, now, and I think the Nets fans should feel better
1: about where their franchise is at right now, in spite of the records. They're definitely in a bind. I think Knicks, the Knicks definitely have to pull some, some big—well, they have to get rid of some players. They have to pull some moves off in order to build their franchise towards the future. The Nets are starting to build a culture. If they can get through this rough patch, I think— I think this might be their last year where someone the Celtics have their pick. hopefully for them it's their last year but regardless if they can get through the stretch and hopefully start getting a couple of draft picks for themselves again after that, as you said, they have they have a few interesting young players, Isaiah Whitehead, Karis Lavert, um, so not super big pieces not pieces to build around yet, but not quite. I think they have the culture there. Kenny Atkinson is great coach. Uh, Sean Marks, as you alluded to, is uh, from the Spurs organization. He'll give that front office some common sense, hopefully.
0: After the after Billy King, I think there's yeah. No order you have to, go to feel
1: up. you have to feel better. I I feel if you're looking at it. If you're looking at the big picture, you have to feel better about the Nets, I think. Yeah,
0: and, and with the two teams in New York right now, I really think it is about big picture. But you alluded to the Celtics. Speaking of those second place in the Eastern Conference Celtics, let's go to the Eastern Conference as a whole and touch on what's going on there right now. Obviously, the big story out of the East is always going to be the Cavaliers, and it Obviously. just got a little bit bigger. Andrew Bogut, in his first game coming over with the Cavs, gets hurt, out for the season. You talk about bad luck with, with Andrew Bogut.
1: I mean that's just tough for. I think that's just tough for Andrew Bogut. He just wanted to be on a competing team. Um, like uh, shout out to like hope he, hope Andrew Bogut gets better. I guess, but I don't think that this changes. I don't think this really changes anything for the Cavs. Mm-hmm. No one really thought they could get Bogut, and when it appeared that they would, people really just looked at it with a little a little disdain. A little it was a little weird for a quality center like Bogut to just get a buyout, and just creep onto the Cavs for a minimum contract. So I think, regardless, this doesn't really change their chances. No, I I I was
0: absolutely uh, going to agree with you. But you still do have to feel bad for Bogut. Definitely. Because— It looked like before he went on the Warriors, it looked like his career was going nowhere, and then he goes to Golden State and really revitalizes his career. Not in some crazy All Star role or as a big scorer, but he was there. He was an important piece to that championship team that they had, and getting back to the finals, he's a great defender. And then he gets the buyout. He comes to the Cavs, fifty something seconds in the game, he gets hurt. So that's some pretty bad luck, and who knows what's going to happen to that career revitalization that he has. It might be over now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's tough. He's pretty pretty old. He's getting
0: up there now, so... But in in terms of what you said, I I don't think it really is going to be a big deal. It puts you in kind of a tough position having him go down, but it's definitely not the end of the world if you're the Cavaliers. The whole reason you signed him in the first place to a minimum deal was to get some insurance while Love was out, to have someone else in, in that position. So... That They're looking at, they just worked out Larry Sanders. They could sign him to that role, and he could do the exact same thing that Bogut did. Maybe not as well as Bogut could have.
1: It would be tough. He hasn't played for two years, a couple of years in the league, a few years. Still... Love is going to
0: come back by the end of March. JR is coming back now. I don't think, and we'll get to this, I don't think there's anyone behind the Cavs right now that could really challenge them. It'll give them kind of a tough road going towards the playoffs, but I still think they'll keep the first spot. So I really don't think Bogut being out is going to be that much of a huge deal. You could put anyone competent in the role that he's
1: going to be playing or was going to be playing, and it could be fine. Definitely. I think think the Cavs... Yeah, I agree with you in that the Cavs don't really have a strong contender against them in the East. I feel maybe maybe the Celtics or the Raptors could cobble together a run because they have they have good pieces. I think the Raptors got a lot better over this tra- uh over this uh over the trade deadline with the additions of Ibaka and Tucker, two mm-hmm. more people who will play defense probably on LeBron, but with La- but then L- with Lowry injured, I think that just really hurt their chances.
0: Absolutely. I was going to say, also Washington you could probably throw in there. Washington, someone that yeah,
1: they played Cleveland nearly to a could standstill. maybe challenge
0: them. The one thing about Washington for me that would stop me from giving them a chance with Cleveland is that— They have probably, I think statistically the worst bench in the NBA, and I believe that you cannot win a championship or even get close to a championship without depth. Sure, they have that really solid starting lineup with Beal and Wall and and everyone else they have there and Gortat, but you need to have some guys coming off the bench. These guys can't play the whole game. And what if somebody goes down? Who do you put into that position? Because you automatically get so much weaker. And they added Bogdanovich from the Nets over the uh, the trade deadline. A great addition. A great addition. But how much is Bogdan Bogdanovich going to help your
1: bench? Uh, more than I. I. I was. I was a little skeptical of this move, but more than you think. I remember there was like a. One, there was one game last week, I think, where the Wizards. I forgot who the Wizards were playing, but Bogdanovich came off the bench. He had eight threes in the game, five in the fourth quarter. He hit he hit a bunch of he hit a bunch of go ahead threes. Shout out to the Fordham team. He pulled a Havsa, <laughs> pulled a Savid Havsa. and really, I think with his addition, that gives the offense such a boost shooting wise, and definitely with the addition of Brandon Jennings, uh, because for some reason the Knicks let him go, but just having that kind of ball handling and shot, that kind of shot creator on your team. I'm not saying Brandon Jennings and Bogdanovich is, one, is what's going to get you a series win against the Cavs by no means, but they're definitely a great addition to really solidify that bench and make it at least co- competent.
0: Yeah, no, I'm not saying it doesn't help you at all. I think it is going to help, and maybe it will help them bump up maybe into that third or second spot in the East and leapfrog the Raptors or the Celtics. But like you said, I don't think Bogdan Bogdanovich and Brandon Jennings coming off your bench is going to be enough to top the benches of the Cavs or even the Celtics or Raptors, in my opinion. So I think you're going to need a little bit more pieces coming off that bench for the Wizards to be able to challenge the Cavs. And obviously, you're going to think of the Celtics as maybe the main team that could challenge them just because they're right there. But for me, I think the Celtics are maybe one, two pieces away. And a lot of people were saying, why did they not make a move over the trade deadline? Because I think a lot of people agreed in that they thought they just need one or two more pieces and maybe they're there. Maybe one more star also to help them out. They're talking about maybe signing Gordon Hayward over the summer, which would be a great... Addition for them, but I think they're maybe one, two pieces away from being able to challenge the Cavs.
1: Well, D- yeah, Danny Age is a little hesitant in nature, so we can, so I guess we can chalk it up to that. But regardless, yes, I do think they need to make a couple moves. I think though that they can definitely wear the Cavs down this season because I've talked to you about this before. Uh, with LeBron playing so many minutes late in the season, this is when he should. This is when he should be really just like. Chilling on the bench, he should not be getting a lot of playing time this late in the season. And I think that's a little concerning for the Cavs. Not enough, not enough to, well, not enough for, probably not enough for the Wizards, Celtics, or Raptors to beat them in a seven-game series. But I just think wear and tear in the playoffs, not even this year, maybe in the future, and definitely against the Warriors coming up, or whoever in the West, whoever will come out of the west. I think that's something that they need to monitor, maybe keep LeBron's minutes down and, you know, a little spread 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 the rotation around a little because these past couple of ge- these past couple of weeks LeBron's been playing a little more than he should.
0: Who knows where we'll be at in 1 year, 2 years. That's what I'm saying, if the Celtics could maybe add a few people onto their roster, maybe eventually with the wear and tear of LeBron that you're mentioning, that could eventually lead to the Celtics overtaking the Cavs as that number 1 team in the East. But if we're talking about right now, this year, I still think it's the Cavs' conference, and I still think they'll be a finals team. Now let's talk about who we think is going to oppose them in this coming playoffs and then NBA Finals. Uh, The top team in the West, obviously the Golden State Warriors. I think it's a little bit different uh, in the West than it is in the East. I think there's one team... I said this last year, and it turned out I was wrong, but I think there's one team that could still challenge the Golden State Warriors, and that is the San Antonio Spurs. I think they match up well with them. I think Kawhi Leonard, it's not not—it's—it's it's like almost a fact, Kawhi Leonard is the best defender in the league. He just put himself in the MVP conversation even more with the, his performance a couple days ago on both ends of the court and the defense that he was playing and not just what he was doing offensively. I think the Spurs have the best matchup with the Warriors, and it's Very possible that if they meet up in a Western Conference final, they could overtake them. I think the Warriors are showing more weakness this year than they've had in past years, especially with Durant going down. So I think it's even more possible this year than it was last year that the Spurs could have a chance against them.
1: Definitely, especially with Durant out, as you said. I think a lot of people are getting a little concerned with the shooting slump of the Warriors, I don't think. I don't think that's really a, I don't think that's really a concern because Steph Curry and Clay Thompson are incredible shooters. So I mean, they're just in a slump. They're human. They're gonna get back. They're gonna get back on track. I don't doubt that. But I think the concern with Durant is that he's averaging a career high in blocks this season, one point six, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And with him out, they really lose another rim protector and defense is what they should be concerned about. It's already an
0: issue for them.
1: Exactly. So, um, I definitely think the Spurs the Spurs will give them a lot of trouble. I think I think the Clippers roster-wise would be more prepared to um exploit the m- exploit the mismatch and the mismatch in the paint against the Warriors, but the Warriors naturally mentally have such uh, have such an advantage over the Clippers. Winning their last like eight or nine games against them, so I wouldn't, I would, I would not count the Clippers in. But definitely with the Spurs, I think we saw, especially our, re, we remember in the opening night opening night of the regular season when well, the Spurs yeah. beat them by a lot. Uh, actually, out. they're playing the Spurs and Warriors are playing again, I believe tomorrow. So we'll see. How, so how that's they work that's out, gonna but. be that's gonna despite the absence of Durant, that's gonna be a vaunted matchup. Yeah, for sure,
0: and. Like you said, defense is really the main issue with the Warriors, but also a point that our our producer Tyler Freire made was that they gave up a lot of their depth when they uh, traded for Durant. And the the Spurs have one of the best benches in the NBA. Uh, I think they have a lot of great, solid players that come off the bench with them. So those are really the two areas that I'm worried about with the Warriors is defense and depth. And I think the Spurs completely outmatch them in both of those areas, especially in defense. The Spurs are... Just always
1: a model of consistency in that area. I think it's yeah. I think it's definitely tough because you have, I think it's kind of weird actually because you have some defensive liabilities in Paul Gasol, LaMarcus Aldridge. They're not that. I don't think they're. They're They're definitely not 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 known for being spectacular defenders. But Popovich, he created the Popovich and the Spurs system, quote unquote, makes such. Make such an impact on other on these kind of players that make them put more energy into their defense. It just and he definitely makes schemes that put Leonard in there more. Like in the game you were talking about, Kawhi with against the Rockets, where Kawhi made those incredible, incredible defensive plays. Popovich likes to just mess around, tinker around with the lineup. Like I read, I read at the beginning of that game, he put Leonard on a a big man so that they could all all three of them, Leonard, Aldridge, and whoever the other big man was, to switch around on screens so Leonard would eventually find himself after a couple of switches on Harden all the time. And I just think that's an interesting kind of adjustment that you would expect Popovich to make year in and year out. And
0: Kawhi is a guy that... You could rely on him to guard the star on any team that you, Absolutely. you play. The steps, the James Hardens, the LeBrons, it doesn't matter. The and, Westbrooks. The Westbrooks. And let's get to the Westbrooks right now because what a stretch it's been just in these, these past couple of days. You have last night Russell Westbrook score 58 points, a career high. You have the game with Kawhi Leonard where he plays – great on both ends of the floor against another MVP candidate in James Harden. And then, quietly, you have LeBron putting up some of the best rebounding and assist numbers that he's had his entire career, oh, and averaging over 20 points a game as well. So the MVP conversation is really just so filled right now, and more so than it has been in the past couple of years. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about who you think is the favorite right now in the MVP conversation, because it's really heating up right now just in the past two days. And for me, when you talk about the MVP race, whoever you talk about it with, they bring up three three different views, and I think it differs uh, between the person. Some people are wholly stat based, where it's just the numbers that these guys are putting up, which obviously would favor Westbrook averaging the triple double. Although, ironically, in Jeopardy, his he it's I think. I think he I saw he needs seven assists maybe in the next game to keep up with the yeah, he, double he digit hasn't assist number. A, he
1: hasn't had a. Du- he hasn't had a triple double in four games.
0: Yeah, so he that actually might be in jeopardy. But then there's also people who really care about whether or not the player is on a winning team or not, so that obviously will not favor Westbrook. They lost that game last night in spite of him (laughs) scoring 58 points. And then there's people who measure it on how important the player is to a particular team, which I think favors Westbrook, because where the heck would that Thunder team be without him? Because they are absolutely nothing without Russell Westbrook and even with him there they're only uh at, what 11th in the west or wherever they are they're out of the playoff picture. So I was just wondering what is your view and what do you think who do
1: you think the favorite is right now? Well, I think that game this past game yesterday with the uh, Thunder playing the Blazers is especially interesting because if you are of the belief that um the MVP is about the player with the most numbers or means the most to their team then that this game would only this game would only solidify your claim because Westbrook was incredible 58 points in the game they wouldn't they wouldn't have had any chance at all if he didn't explode but at the same time if you're all about the best player on the best team then that this game also solidifies your argument because you can say hey westbrook scored 58 points but the team still lost i think that's very interesting um i would definitely i think going through the four candidates i would say lebron lebron definitely has voter fatigue working against him because he su- sadly we take such an incredible talent for granted but um he has he has a good team around him as well. He has Irving, he has Love even though he's injured. Um James Harden, some would argue because he has better he has bigger assist totals than we- than Westbrook. He does more for his team, but I just I just don't see it just because of the stigma I guess against him and his reputation for just not playing defense, I don't think I can exactly give it to him and probably um And probably because of the system, because he has so many three-point shooters around him, that just Mike Dantony has really cultivated an environment where he will succeed the most. Um, Kawhi Leonard definitely, I think, would I would probably place him second now in the argument because he's starting to develop these kind of moments where he's just taking over, just flat out taking over the game and telling everyone, I am the best player on this court right now, and he's proved. He's proved it. He proved it with that game against the Rockets, and I think because he's in he's on a number two he's on the number the team that's the number two seed in the Western Conference. He definitely has huge there's a huge probability that he can win it. But I would probably have to give it to Westbrook, especially if he averages a triple double solely because that is exactly
0: what I was going to say. You don't
1: you just I don't think you're ever gonna see, uh, I, don't gonna see a, I don't think you're gonna see a season like this. For a long, for a long time. there Because there's no way he can keep this up for in the future and like following seasons. And just we're just seeing something so special from Westbrook that that he really out of all those four candidates by far by a huge margin has the least to work with. But night in and night out, he just keeps he just keeps doggedly just. Charging the charging the paint, just trying, just trying to lift his team to wins. And I think I th- really think we have to reward that kind of perseverance. I guess.
0: Yeah, and I- I'm with you. And I don't think a lot of people <coughs> will agree with us. I was just watching a clip of Colin Cowherd before I came here, and he said, "If we give Westbrook this MVP trophy, even if he averages a triple double, you're giving the MVP trophy to a guy who is." the best player on a team that's 11th in the west or wherever they are 12th in the west not a playoff team a guy who averages only 42% shooting leads the league in turnovers we're going to give the mvp to that guy does that sound right to you yes it does sound right to me because well
1: the thunder i mean the thunder are going to be in the playoffs they're 7th if i'm not mistaken and they have a pretty they have a pretty large they have a pretty large lead on the 8th spot so they're going to be in the playoffs
0: Oh, oh, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was must have been an, an older video. But they are seventh. But e- even so, they might have some trouble in the first round. Oh, yes, in, absolutely. In terms of that. I agree. And they, they're a lower level team. But to me, it doesn't matter, regardless of other circumstances. If the guy averages a triple double, you should give him the MVP because that is a historic number. That's a historic thing. That's only been done one time before by Oscar Robertson. There's a reason why it hasn't been done in so many years, and that's because it's so difficult to do. And he checks the boxes on two of those three categories that I mentioned. He's so important to the team. The team would be nowhere without him. And then statistically, the numbers really jump off the page. So I don't care what anybody says. If he gets that triple-double or maybe even comes close, say he misses out and averages like nine assists a game, he still should be given the MVP award. That is an unbelievable season and something that really should be appreciated. And it's a season that's going to be remembered for years to come because you don't remember what Oscar Robertson's, Oscar Robertson's team's record was at that time. You don't remember yeah. like what the Mocky Bucks record was that year. So it doesn't even matter really where the team ends up, even if they lose in the first round or the semifinals. If he averages the triple-double, that's the historic part, and it makes sense to give him the MVP I just award.
1: think, yes, exactly. I agree with you with that. He's just unequivocally important to this team, and I would say if they didn't make it in the playoffs, I would I would admit that you would have an argument for maybe not giving him the MVP trophy, but the fact that he has led this team to the playoffs, I I think if you replace him with honestly any like, there are very few players who you can replace him with and this team doesn't go tumbling down to the lotter- to the lottery pit to the lottery portion of like the bottom feeders of the Western Conference. I think even Even with a player like, say, Steph Curry or, like, discounting their other MVP candidates, anyone, any player on that, any player in the NBA, any other player in the NBA, if you put him, if you replaced Westbrook with him, I think they would not be able to be in the playoffs. And I just think that kind of importance has to be rewarded.
0: And we're going to wrap up the show in just a little bit. We wish we had a little bit more time to get into this. I MVP could talk discussion about this all day. It's really a in-depth topic that we could really go on for hours about. But something we really do want to touch on before we end off the show today: Dirk Nowitzki making history last night, thirty thousand points, and first
1: international player, first ever. international
0: player to do it. And I really think his all-time greatness flies under the radar. Look at the other guys that have scored thirty thousand points: Kareem. Karl Malone, Kobe Bryant, Jordan, and Wilt Chamberlain, and now Dirk Nowitzki. How is it that we don't appreciate this guy as much as we should? Because that's a very elite company, and it seems like he really flies under the radar. Maybe that's because of where he plays in Dallas. He's played there his whole career. Maybe it's because his franchise hasn't done that much winning in terms of championships since he's been there. Obviously, they had that spectacular run over the Heat, but aside from that, no championships there were a couple of long playoff runs, but nothing much really so i'm trying to hypothesize why we don't give Dirk
1: enough credit I really don't think he gives gets the credit that he deserves in um, that i th- i w- i would just say I would just say that he he's definitely i mean he's fallen off this season he's pretty old, but I think we definitely i think you're right we definitely have to appreciate him if you see everyone who's been congratulating him the the like, the people that have been saying hey, congrats dirk uh Legends like Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, teammates who have who look up to him and res, respect him a lot. Especially as an international myself, I can understand that I I just appreciate this so much because you have this guy coming over coming over from Germany in his rookie season. People did not think he would be a Hall of Famer, much less a thirty thousand point scorer. And I think you just have to really appreciate the impact he's he's had on the NBA especially one of being one of the first really true shooters at 7 feet a seven-footer with a true, shoot, with a pure shooting touch. He really he revolutionized. Really is he revolutionized
0: the position and the way guys could play that position, and revolutionizing the mid-range and how big guys played. And no doubt about it, he's one of the best, if not the best, international players in the history of the league. We'll Absolutely, see, we'll see how much longer he goes. He is getting up there in age, but that will bring us to the end of this week's edition of Pick and Pod. Alvin, it's been great. Here with you, great it's to be great in this here, First time on the podcast this season. Hope to be having a couple of more uh, appearances. Till then, maybe with you too, Alvin. Uh, keep on listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed it, and that'll bring us to the end of our edition of Pound for Pick and Pod. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> was funny. Did I just- <laughs> Thank God.
1: It was like, that's so. That's hilarious. I'm so I'm, like. I'm so used to that. No, that was-